Hello friends, you're very welcome along to the 19th edition of Folklore Fragments coming to you from the heart of the archive here at the National Folklore Collection, University College Dublin. With myself, Johnny Dillon, and my friend and colleague and partner in crime here, Claire, for the sake of completeness doing, that's you Claire. Hello that's Claire. Me. Hello Johnny. How are you doing Claire doing? I'm, I cannot complain. Do people ever say that to you? How are you doing Claire doing? Actually, no, you're probably the first person who's actually rhymed it like that. I don't like it. Hmm. Well, that's that. <laughs> um, so today we're going to leave the cares of the town behind us and travel to the shelter of the green wood. Amidst the oak and the ash, the hazel and the alder, the rowan, and the blackthorn, the apple tree, tree, the yew and the bramble will we make our course as today we explore customs and practices concerning sacred trees in folk tradition. While rooted in the earth, trees ascend towards the firmament of the heavens. They likewise renew themselves through the eternal rhythms that govern all living things, those cycles of growth, maturation, decay and rebirth, as they blossom, flower, give fruit and eventually shed their leaves before being reborn anew each spring. Certain of these proud intermediaries between heaven and earth were treated with great veneration by our forebears, and it is on these trees that we will focus our attention today. So stay with us as we consider our culture born of nature. From sacred trees under which kings of Ireland were inaugurated in times long ago, to the holy woods inhabited by both madmen and saints, sometimes one and the same. From votive offerings left hanging on the branches of trees growing beside holy wells, to those trees treated with fear and trepidation, understood as they were as dwellings of the other world spirits which live alongside us in the natural landscape. Trees. Trees, that's a thing of beauty there, Johnny. Well, thanks, Claire. Arts degree. Um, I've been haranguing poor Claire. About this topic for a while now, haven't for I? months, for months you've mentioned trees. I don't even know trees. why. I don't even have a big thing about trees, but I just thought it really has been something you've been interested in for quite a while. It has, and we've put it off and put it off, but finally you've worn me down. I have, excellent. Um, okay, to start, maybe we'll have a, a piece from from Dahio Hogan. Mm, um, just love you. This is the late Professor Dahio Hogan, a hugely inspiring figure. His lectures were incredible when I started studying here years ago. Um, he was a huge inspiration to carry on working in folk tradition published the, the Sacred Isle on Phila, um, the Lore of Ireland, the encyclopedia that we often point people towards, countless books, books of poetry, all sorts of amazing character. This is him appearing on Radio 1, I think, in the 1990s, and he's talking about uh, trees, and he'll go on to describe the Billa, the sacred tree that will then lead us into the uh, early laws and stuff like that. Excellent. So here's Dahi. Today's guest is Professor Dahi O'Hogan of the Department of Irish Folklore at UCD. strong and so beautiful, trees have always excited the human imagination. Many ancient cultures saw the tree, which grows from the ground to the sky, as a sacred part of the landscape which connects heaven with earth. And the mythologies of various peoples speak of a huge tree on which the order of the whole universe depends. In early Irish Christianity, God was sometimes described as the great architect of the firmament who built the house of the world around four massive tree posts. Something of this symbolism survives in spoken Irish still, when we say that to give fulsome praise to a person is to praise him or her that is, to the trees of the sky. There's frequent mention of famous old trees, and these in fact seem to have been landmarks for public assemblies. Most celebrated of them was the Billathartan at Ardbracken in County Mead, said to have been an ash of gigantic size under which a whole clan could shelter from rain and storms. 
Others were the yew tree of Moon near Ballamoon in County Kildare, the yew of Ross at Old Lachlan in County Carlow, an ash called Dahi's Branch at Farbill in County Westmeath, and another ash called the Branch of Ishnach in the same county. The sites of many of the great trees were taken over by monastic communities, and there are several mentions of such in the lives of the saints. The belief long survived that a very old and notable tree termed a bille was sacred, especially if it were in a cemetery or near a holy well. Many accounts tell of misfortune befalling people who interfered with such a reverend old tree or cut it down. All right, Daya Hogan, down to your cross there. It's really nice to hear him speak. It's quite nice to hear a voice again when you haven't yeah. heard it for a while, isn't it? Yes, it? it is. Um, so he mentioned a couple of things there. I suppose that the idea of the sacred tree, the tree that the trees that hold up the world, yeah. that the pillars of the of the, the the four pillars upon which the entirety of the world rests. Um, God or the great creator of the universe building um, the house of the world on four tree posts and praising people could crown the spirit of the trees of the sky and stuff like that. Um, should we look at the, the billa? Yes. The idea of the... The, um, the sacred the tree. Sacred tree. Mm. Um, you were mentioning there were particular, there were five trees or something like that? There were. Um, we actually had a wonderful article. A.T. Lucas writes about the five great legendary trees of Ireland and he names them as Billa Thornton, O Mugna, O Rossa, Crave Dahi, Billy Oshnik, um, which were mentioned by Dahi there in his recording. And the word Billy that Dahi mentioned earlier, this seems to be um, the Irish word that it would have been used traditionally to denote a sacred, a sacred tree, tree or they might have used the word creve as well. A.T. Lucas says that um, they were interchangeable. Mm. But whenever you see the word Billy or even Bell or Bellu as, mm. uh, as a root in a word, you might just remember this podcast and wonder, oh, is this the site of a sacred tree mm-hmm. or was it once? Because that's often what um, A.T. Lucas associates and it with. And it's where we get the term, the Irish language word for a page or a leaf, billog. Mm, same, the same root. Exactly. But it appears in different place names. It does. And actually, if you see, he has a few examples. So, Ahavella in Cavan, Ahavelli in Armagh and Down, or Ballinvilla in Mayo. Mm. Again, once you, anytime you see this word, and this root, if you pardon the pun, that's what we're talking about, that potentially there could have been a sacred tree there mm-hmm. once. Um, the, the, I suppose what, he, what he's mentioned essentially is as the, the widespread is a derivation that, that these, he, when he talks about, uh, you mentioned Ahavilla, the field of the tree and so on, that these places are found in counties Antrim, Sligo, Cavan, Leitrim, Monaghan, uh, Cork, Down, Mayo, Roscommon, Tip, Waterford, Galway, Tyrone, etc., etc. That All there's over. such a wide derivation that it would suggest it to be a particularly uh, old practice, mm-hmm. old ideas, basically. Um, but again, yeah, I suppose an interesting aspect of the of the the idea of the um, the sacred tree. It is, but he has. If I can read out here, he has an example from Tipperary, where he says, um, do, 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 do. "In 1834, there was still growing in Tombracane in Borisacane Parish, County Tipperary, a large ash, 22 feet in circumference at the base." which O'Donovan says was called Bellow Tree in English. Another account of this tree states that it was called the Big Bell Tree and goes on to record the local belief that if any part of it were used for fuel, the house in which it was burnt would itself be destroyed by fire and that the water which lodged in a hollow between the branches was regarded as holy. Hmm. Whether called Bellow Tree or Bell Tree, there can be no doubt that these are versions of the Irish Billa and a sketch published with the second account shows it as according with Keaton's definition of a Billa which was a large tree standing in a plain or open space. Hmm. 
So it comes with great lore and great history and great reverence in many communities. Was this the one or is it literally made a note where he goes to it himself and sees that it's fallen down and it's rotten, but people are still leaving offerings in its trunk? That was A.T. Lucas, but I don't know if it's that It might have been another country later, but the idea as well that you see of, of the... Um, that motif, the idea that if you strike this tree down, if you take fuel from it, if you cut it down, mm. um, that your your house will be destroyed by fire. There's a there's a reference to that in relation with the ash, I think, in, in, in the folklore collection here, where um, a man is out in the field, he goes to cut a tree on his land so that he can increase more arable land. That's something that we'll look at and listen to again later. And uh, on going to cut it down, he looks back towards his house, which he sees is totally on fire, mm. and he freaks out and runs back home. And when he gets there, it's not on fire. Yeah. Goes back to the tree, begins cutting it, Hacking and slashing and so on, looks back, house on fire, runs back, mm. not on fire, runs back to the field, hacks the tree, sees house, house is on fire, ignores it, cuts the tree down, goes back, house is burnt down. Yes. So this is the kind of, uh, the retribution, which is a theme that will, that will, I suppose, appear um, in many instances as we go on looking at this, the yes. idea of a retribution that's, that's, uh, that's brought against an individual who desecrates a sacred tree, mm-hmm. which is something that even maintains itself today. People won't cut trees on, on land. Roads have been have been diverted. Yeah, Main roads, before, yeah, in relation to um, very forts, forts and trees. And fairy rats, yeah. Um, so, but I suppose the idea from ancient times of a sacred tree, um, the billa, the, the large, huge tree that that stands on its own in a field or that kind of marks a particular sacred mm-hmm. site, is of of. Um, particular antiquity i suppose yes very true that we see in place names and so on um inauguration sites for kings at lucas is, m- mentions as well mm. that there were these um in, in ancient ireland up to the the late or the, the well the late medieval or the 16th century really that the place where the ancient kings of the different tribes because of course ireland wasn't a a um, unified nation at that stage it was i suppose uh, an island of, of shifting allegiances of tribal alliances and, and mm, kings and so on chiefs and tribes all over all yeah, over the place and, um, and so the, the kings the great kings of Ireland were inaugurated often at these sites by these huge trees but at a villa and that the enemies then often if you were kind of ransacking your, your uh, arch nemesis and so on one of the things you do would be to hack down, hack down the inauguration tree or the villa the sacred tree as a kind of a mocking insult I suppose to mm. those people there are many there are numerous kind of references to that in um, 11.29, the monster men le- led by McCarthy and O'Brien advanced into Connacht where they levelled the Rui Veha, which was the Red Birch, a significant villa in that area for the inauguration of their kings and their chieftains. Mm. And we see the O'Neills, the great O'Neills of Tyrone. Yes, huge in, family. In Dungannon, um, County Tyrone, they would have had their, um, I think it was an ash tree in Tullahogue somewhere there near Dungannon, where they were inaugurated um, mm. in centuries gone by. So fascinating that, is. that you can actually point to, if not, if it's still not there, but at least a location where a sacred tree once, once stood, stood for this purpose. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. I'd love, I was thinking about it, I'd love to find some of the um, the ones that are mentioned to see if they still remain mm. and, uh, I don't know, go there and look at them in terror. Um, so I suppose from early Ireland and then the arrival of, of kind of Christian tradition, it seems that in early Christian Ireland, a great many, uh, what are now understood and, and, and revered as holy places, either monasteries or churches or holy wells and so on, often have a sacred tree or large um, tree growing near them or attached to them in some way. So the idea of kind of sacred groves and ecclesiastical sites and so on um, are common. Actually, on the topic of sacred groves, sorry, to go back to the pagan stuff for a minute, there's an amazing piece it's a lovely little book by Christine Zuccelli. Zuccelli? Zuccelli? I think it's Zuccelli. Zuccelli, our resident um, Italian expert. 
um, <laughs> who did her her thesis here um, on sacred trees, and then published a lovely book called Sacred Trees of Ireland. Mm. And, and she's she, a lovely she, one on stones. On as stones, well. sacred stones of Ireland. That'll um, be our next podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful book, and it has lots of kind of. Um, lovely pictures, photographs, and then accounts from from early literature and and uh, the manuscripts here and so on and so forth. It's actually lovely to include the photographs because even just looking at them there, you just realise the sheer beauty of trees no, that you just them, yeah. don't it is take time to appreciate. Um, but there's a piece here which I was struck by. This is the What's I should have that? mentioned this at the start. It's it's a dog ear. Oh, sorry, dog ear. Look, I dog ear my pages. Go on. I love my books. I scribble on them. I dog ear them. God. <laughs> Um, so this is this is back to go to the to the kind of Celtic stuff, but just these this idea of sacred groves of sacred woods in general, um, which we'll look at then in a kind of Christian sense. But before the Christian stuff, I just thought this was a fantastic and um, kind of hyperbolic and amazing um, description. This is Caesar's troops as they're as they're marching through southern Gaul, and they come across a, a, a sacred a Celtic sacred grove near Marseille, and it says. A grove there was, never profaned since time remote, enclosing with its intertwining branches the dingy air and chilly shadows, banishing sunlight far above. In this grove there are altars furnished with hideous offerings, and every tree is sanctified with human blood. The birds fear to sit upon those branches, the beasts fear to lie in those thickets. On the woods no wind has borne down, nor thunderbolts shot from black clouds. Though the trees present their leaves to no breeze, they have a trembling of their own. Water pours from black springs, and the grim and artless images of gods stand as shapeless fallen tree trunks. Now it was rumoured that often the hollow caves below rumbled with earthquakes, that yew trees fell and rose again, that flames shot from trees which were not on fire, that snakes embraced and flowed around the trunks. Amazing. Amazing piece. Let's, please, let's go there. Um, but that's the kind of pre-Christian, said the idea of a sacred grove, the idea of um, of open air worship in the woods or in a clearing in the woods or, or under a sacred tree at a clearing or whatever. That these existed before the coming of Christianity. <coughs> exactly. Mm. But then we have references all over the, the early literature and the Christian sense, but all of our early literatures is kind of framed through the lens of Christian um, tradition, early Christian tradition. Um, but the idea that, that I suppose there are sacred trees at ecclesiastical sites. So we're told, for example, in the 8th century Book of Armagh, St. Patrick founded a church near the Bill of Tartan that, that he mentioned and you mentioned earlier, Claire. Um, and there are references to sacred groves and sacred woods uh, near the monastic town of Armagh. Um, that we hear that in, in 995 AD that it was set on fire by lightning and that along with the town, the sacred, the sacred wood uh, that was burned. Also then there's references to uh, St. Kevin, who... who yes. Who, who compiled or constructed um, um, Glendalough, right. monastic settlement of Glendalough. And in West Wicklow, there's a town, there's the town of Hollywood, which has an interesting story to it. But in I think in the 12th century, there are references to, to Sanctum Boscus, meaning mm. holy wood. And the holy wood is attached to St. Kevin. His devotees are marching him around. They're burying him aloft on a platform, as you do. You like the sound of that. Look, I'm just saying. <laughs> just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. It's just an idea. Um, he's, he's being borne aloft by his devotees. Here is the saint, the good saint, is being in these kind of, go over there and travel this way. And he points his devotees towards a wood. And like, we can't walk through the wood. It's, it's a wood. And he says, don't worry about it. Just keep going. Yeah. And as he walks through the wood, he begins to pray fervently and make these kind of pronouncements and so on. And the trees all begin to bend and fall over in front of them. And a path is cut through. Oh. So they march through like the, the wood. Um, Moses and the Red Sea. 
No. Okay. <laughs> yes, it is, well, in a sense, there's, there's a parting being made through the natural okay. world, an obstacle or whatever, and it's through, yes, supernatural divine intervention I that see. this occurs. And so St. Kevin then says, uh, it's the place is named St. Domboscus, and he declares that he gives, what does he say? Hell and short life to anyone that would burn green wood or dry from this wood for mm. all eternity. If you touch it, if you burn it, um, you're going to die, and then you're going to go to hell. That was that was his approach. Um, so the idea, I suppose, of, of Christians, of early saints putting prohibitions on on, um, on on the interference with these sacred groves and so on. Mm, because we have St. Columkill in yes. Derry. Very interesting. Is, is massive on this front because he was particularly fond of this area in Derry where he believed that to have more angels than leaves on a particular tree, that kind of a U that he called the U of the saints. Amazing. And he has some, again just kind of referencing A.T. Lucas, if I can find it here. Hurry up, guys. Where is this now? Oh. Yes, so St. Colin kills Oakwood after the famous saint who founded a monastery there in the 6th century in Derry. Hmm. And he was so fond of it that he once wrote when he was being exiled to Scotland, though I am affrighted truly by death and by hell, I am more affrighted, frankly, by the sound of an axe in Derry in the West. Oh, that was that quote. I see, I didn't get that. That's what he's saying. Yes, right. Just not to, again, like St. Kevin, that no man, woman um, should ever interfere uh, interfere with with this grove or these trees. And didn't he utter, he'd invoke a prayer to to protect the the wood against fire or against... I wouldn't be surprised. A.T. Lucas, he he suggests, he wonders if... um, there was an echo of some kind of pre-Christian tradition of, of um, the exorcism of a wood, basically, that there was a kind of, he sings a song at the trees to um, either exorcise a demon or protect it from fires or something like that, I can't quite recall. Um, but was it, it was the, the yew tree in particular that that, that, uh, that Cullum Killer mentioned? He did, he actually mentioned, you see, the yew of the saints, if I've got it correctly, and he writes... And um, this is the you of the saints where they used to come with me together. Ten hundred angels were there above our heads, side close to side. Dear to me is that yew tree. Would that I were set in its place there. On my left it was pleasant adornment when I entered into the black church. Hmm, amazing. Beautiful. Really the, the, the yew tree is, is, is an interesting one. And we have, there's a quote here from Dralis Cambrensis. He talks about the yew tree mm-hmm. um, and he says of Ireland at that time ewes with their bitter sap are more frequently to be found in this country than in any other I have visited but you will see them principally in old cemeteries and sacred places where they were planted in ancient times by the hands of holy men to give them what ornament and beauty they could Uh, he also tells us then that several troops of archers were quartered at the town of Finglas in County Dublin where he says the illustrious abbot Kenneth and other holy men in succession through whose fervent piety the place became celebrated had formerly planted with their own hands ash trees and yews and various other kinds of trees round the cemetery for the ornament of the church. The soldiers, being short, short of fuel, cut down these trees, but in retribution for their impiety they were smitten by a sudden and singular pestilence so that most of them perished miserably within a few days. Nice. Miserable yeah, that's perishing. the way to go. That's the way to go. But the idea of the, the yew tree... I was looking at this a bit yesterday and the yew tree can grow for thousands and thousands of years. Mm. Apparently there are no um, extremely ancient yew trees in, in Ireland. It's thought that there are some instances that are maybe up to 800 years old, which is old. Um, but there's the Bedhampton yew near Portsmouth in the south of England and that's approximately a thousand years old. But the absolute uh, 
King U. Coming out on top. Yeah, is the Fortingal U. In, in, I don't know if I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Fortingal um, in Scotland, which is approximately two or 3,000 years old. Imagine. And it's grown out of a little church. I was down in Muckless Abbey in Killarney um, a couple of summers ago. A fantastic abbey. Um, Google U tree mm. Muckross Abbey M U C K or O S S, and growing in the courtyard of this of this beautiful abbey, the abbey itself was built in the fourteen hundreds. is an enormous yew tree. It's beautiful. You know, it's, it's an amazing place. Um, but it was thought initially that that yew tree was planted in the courtyard, but now it seems that uh, it was the other way around. That that and there's another ancient yew tree which might be the oldest in the country. I think growing outside the, the monastery, outside the abbey. Um, but it's thought that the abbey was built around these trees. Mm. That that uh, it wasn't it wasn't the, the church came to the tree. The church came to the sacred yeah. place. Yeah, and, and it's something we see again and again and again that there's an overlay of the of kind of the new ideology is coming and that the, the new kind of um, ways are 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 mapping over the old ones. You know, there's a lovely um, line here actually that explains it really well. If if we have time, should I jump into it? No, we don't have time. Now let's move on. <laughs> yes, of course. So if we um, where are we? To do if we accept the statement about the foundation of a church at the Billa Torton and the suggestion that Armagh, Derry, Kildare and Clonmacnoise, about which we've been speaking, um, were originally pagan seats of sacred groves or trees, then we must visualise the association as beginning in a deliberate effort by the church to Christianise these pagan sanctuaries mm. by attaching them to the Christian, Christian ritual while yielding to the traditional pagal, pagan devotion to them. At first, in brief, the church came to the tree, not the tree to the church, exactly as Johnny was saying. Sorry, it's just lovely. It's lovely. It is. It just kind of says it quite concisely, doesn't it? it? So, at first, in brief, the church came to the tree, not the tree to the church. The more the strategy was put into practice, the firmer the association between the church and the tree grew, until in time, by force of it, the trees came to the churches and the planting of them um, there was rationalised, as Cambrensis, who we mentioned, rationalises it into a matter of beauty and adornment. The holiness, however, of the ancestral villa surviving altered in kind, but not in degree. Hmm. So it's really interesting that, um, as, as he said, the church came to the tree, mm-hmm. not the other way around, mm-hmm. as we might imagine. Yes, yes. Um, and the yew tree in particular, and, and its connection with the church, there's a couple of references in the early literature that we can look at. I was going to mention one of my favourite texts of all time ever, uh, Bulla Sibne, The Frenzy oh, of Sweeney. Oh, you love The Frenzy of Sweeney. It's one of my favourites, and people should read it out there. It's about... Uh, it's a, a king, a tribal king, who was cursed by a saint and he goes mad mm. in battle and he flees. He runs across the tops of the spears of the battle hosts, uh, all nimbly, kind mm. of, and turns it as a weird kind of bird. He's naked as the day he was born and he flees off into the woods uh, in like a total madman where he begins composing amazing nature poetry. Mm. He gets this gift of, of art and poetry and, and insight and so on. And travels um, across the country. Travels he, all he over the country. appears everywhere. So Dregal, if, Kerry, you name it. If, if he, he's kind of open tree naked composing these poems in a state of horror and then somebody will walk in the wood nearby and break a twig and it sends his mind into such a frenzy that he'll fly to Donegal all of mm-hmm. a sudden and then he's and the same thing will happen and he has no peace and he goes to the valley of the mad and Kerry. There's also there's interesting um there's some interesting scholarship on the idea that that, that Sivne um, is similarly related to the figure of Merlin, the crazy madman, mm. and also of Odin, and the idea of the threefold death that's prophesied by the the, the, the figure of this Indo-European kind of... Co- there's a commonality between these figures. Merlin, uh, Lilacan was a Welsh madman, as well, I think, uh, Odin and Sivna, that they have these kind of overlays. But All he mentions... All madmen. He, yeah, in the woods. Honest to God. Right, gonna do? Women just rolling their eyes down below. Well, yes, exactly, yeah, <laughs> getting on with it. But there's a section here of... Uh, of um, 
I'm sorry, I can't let it pass. There is a feather now marking your book, Johnny, sorry. as opposed to a dog ear. This is it. Well, it's a bookmark. This is a magpie feather. Yes. Well, and there's a dog ear. And there's a dog ear. Okay. So I'll try to... Tune in next month, folks, to yep. see what the next installment will <coughs> it's be. It's bones. <laughs> yep. Oh, God. Um, it's an auspicious feather. I have a few of them. When I find them, I use them as bookmarks. In You're a big passages. fan of magpies, Johnny. I am. I am. So, this is Sidney, and... Um, he's, this is where he goes he goes nuts basically he says now when Sidna heard these great cries together with their sounds and reverberations in the clouds of heaven and in the vault of the firmament he looked up where upon turbulence and darkness and fury and giddiness and frenzy and flight unsteadiness restlessness and unquiet filled him likewise disgust with every place in which he used to be and desire for every place which he had not reached his fingers were palsied his feet trembled and his heart beat quick his senses were overcome, his sight was distorted, his weapons fell naked from his hands, so that through Ronan's curse he went like any bird of the air in madness and imbecility. Now, however, when he arrived out of battle, it was seldom that his feet would touch the ground because of the swiftness of his course, and when he did touch it, it would not shake the dew from the top of the grass nor the lightness and for the lightness and nimbleness of his step. He halted not from that headlong course until he left neither plain nor field nor bare mountain nor bog nor thicket nor marsh nor hill nor hollow nor dense sheltering wood in Ireland that he did not travel that day until he reached Rusbarrick in Glenarkin where he went into the yew tree that was in the glen. He goes into the yew tree, okay. And then, so these people close around him at the bottom of the tree. And, uh, well, he doesn't like this at all, basically. And he says, when the men heard Sivna reciting the verses, they recognised him and urged him to trust them. He said that he would never do so. He gets intensely paranoid. Then, as they were closing round the tree, Sivna rose out of it very lightly and nimbly and went to Kilriagan in Tir Hunnel, where he perched on the old tree of the church. That's what A.T. Lucas mentions in, in, the, in, the, mm. in his text, that it's the old tree of the church that kind of, um, this, this idea of the, the billet that's by the, the church is a kind of um, a common thing, basically. And just to, to tie in with that idea of the, the tree that, the, the church that comes to the tree, not the other way around, exactly, basically, exactly. of these, these sacred sites and holy points. Um, in Christian tradition as well, just to throw another bit of audio into this um, this segment or whatever, there was association in Christian tradition of, of, of um, the alder tree in, in Irish Pope tradition. It was an unlucky tree. You shouldn't pass it. You shouldn't burn it. You shouldn't, you shouldn't use it for anything. Because Judas uh, hanged himself from that tree. Yes. And we have a recording here from uh, Mick Walsh, Michael Walsh, and he has lovely tape recordings with with Jim Delaney, and Mick Walsh is from Michael Walsh is from uh, uh, Offaly, and he describes how this tree was unlucky basically, and that and that this is the one from which Judas hanged himself. So we'll hear this now. The, the elder tree, yeah, the old elder. Yeah. But there was a bad year. What did you say? What did you say about it? About which? The elder tree. E L D E R, isn't yeah, that here? What about it? I, I didn't I, I, he was. I didn't. Judas yeah. hung himself over. But. See. But there was. Why is it so common that around the gardens, around the house? Oh, I sure it would grow nearly on the road, it would fill. Yeah. I think it would nearly grow up through cement. Mm. And you can't burn it. No one had burned it. Is that so? It says not lucky, and cattle had died or anything. But anyway, whoever has seen it, they have it about Judas hanging himself. And mm. as the tree is not leaked, although there's nice elderberries on it. Could make nice, very ill. But you're not supposed to burn it. No, a big bad look. I told her cattle had died or something. But yeah. anyway, it's no good to burn, which is only like old dirty in a way. So, that's 
Michael Walsh there from Offaly and he's talking with Jim Delaney and describing the fact that uh, that the alder basically was a tree that was unlucky people didn't like because Judas hanged himself from it just don't do it with it but he also then describes in this instance this guy Ned Halligan who was a big character around the area um, who well let let uh, make himself describe this but he decides well he does want to take it down he does want to burn it and somebody gives out to him but he has a very particular uh, reply to them basically okay. there was a grey old character by the name of Ned Halligan and he was the night watchman in Ros Grey baking factory but Ned was a well up old evil but could talk tanny whining must have got a good school but was terribly intelligent but Ned went on towards Birch's bug. Well, he took a, a saw, one man saw with him, and a billhole. He said he'd get mains of a fire over some of them. But sure, he went down to the turf, and sure, it was only a heap of muck. But came back, but there was great big elder trees growing alongside the bog road and on the old ditch. Lots of them, the finest. We got Ned picked over one. Well, he got hard with the sun, he got sun, sun, sun. Well, then those others came on and they said, to look for it, so I would get a lock of turf too, and they said, Why are you doing it? Don't you see what I'm doing? I'm sawing down this tree. And why are you sawing? To cook it up and take it home and burn it. But they say it's not right to burn an elder tree. Why is it, Ned? The senator's over an elder that showed his home himself. Well, because, says Ned, he didn't hang himself over this one and he <laughs> sawed away. He didn't, it wasn't this one, and sawed it down, took home a great big load of, of elder to, to Bunker's Hill and carried it, carried it in and burnt. <laughs> well, there's a good answer he gave them. And we gubs and I needed have no place for anything like that. So that was Ned. He uh, wasn't having any of that. I love the Irish sense of humour there. They've all got a reply. He didn't hang himself out of this one. <laughs> um, so I suppose, yeah, the, the idea that um, the, the, the Christian tradition, I guess, that overlays over the, the sacred, the pre-sacred, pre-Christian spaces mm-hmm. and, and things is, is something that cannot be... I don't know, understated or, or avoided at all. And there's a continuity of, of veneration and worship and so on through those um, through those sites and in, into the living tradition today. Um, speaking of which, I suppose we should, it would make sense to move on to the idea of, of holy bells. Yes, because we do see trees. them emerge again and again in that tradition, don't we? Mm. Um, and for, just for the benefit maybe of anyone who I suppose isn't aware, um, there, are thought, there are considered to be over 3,000 holy wells in Ireland and there's a cult towards them which is well attested in folk tradition in the early literature and so on almost every saint who comes to us is attributed with kind of miraculously I thought you mentioned the archive like, comes into us yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly, yeah exactly visits us um, but any, any saint who, who's made mention of that there's generally some miracle through which um, they kind of create a holy well basically mm-hmm. but what's often considered as an essential kind of component or part to it is the idea that beside these holy wells uh, grows a holy a bush or a tree which is also venerated it kind of partakes in the sanctity of the well basically mm-hmm. and a very common thing that you see in this regard is the idea that or, or the the not idea but just the leaving of votive offerings by by the people uh, on the trees where you, you'll see i've seen many instances of it people will hang 
um, offering so rosary beads or rags or medals or coins or baby soothers or bits of tissue anything they'll hang them on these trees as they as a kind of physical emblem or symbol of their hopes and prayers and wishes and so on so there's a huge resonance that builds up at these sites um, and people also take bits away um so I, although it seems a bit counterintuitive that you're not meant to harm it but um, in one of the pieces i read emigrants who were leaving traditionally used to take a chip or something mm. um, from these sacred trees um, as they were leaving to go to England or America. Where on um, disaster would ensue, no doubt. And, and, well, touch um, wood that they lived long and happy lives, Johnny. Yes, yes, of course. I but, will be um, the optimist. But yeah, they would take, one of them was in, um, where was it? Dunamagan in County Kilkenny, St. Leonard Street, and they used to take sprigs or chips from the tree. Hmm. Really beautiful idea. Um, A.T. Lucas mentions a tree called Tuberon Villa, the well of the villa, the well of the sacred tree in, in Kerry. And he gives an account from the, the, uh, the mid-19th century, in the 1800s. And he describes this tree growing beside this holy well. And he says, uh, It's at the old ruined church of Kilcrahan on the mountainside and commanding an exquisite view. Near it is an extremely curious stone cell with a well dedicated to St. Crahan, over which grows a gigantic ash tree, said to be the largest in Ireland, in which I readily believe. This tree is hung with innumerable coloured rags placed by the pilgrims who visit the well. A large patron, that means a pattern day, a day when the public would visit this place in their droves, uh, the feast day of the saint, was held there annually on July 30th, but by 1945 the tree had fallen. This is A.T. Lucas talking now. And he says, when he himself, when A.T. Lucas, when the writer visited the place a few years ago, the rotting trunk of the billet still lay untouched on the ground and pilgrim offerings of pennies were stuck in a split in it that showed that sanctity persisted even in its decay. Um, so it's a very, very, where you have a holy well, you will have a holy tree, a holy bush that grows beside it. It's yes. a really, really common um, uh, part of that tradition. And Again, they share the, as you said, the sanctity or the properties of the well. They should, they would never ever be be desecrated or or, or interfered with or interrupted in any way. Can I end? Um, there's a nice one here of Saint Bernard's Well in Woodtown in County Louth. Did mm. you read this one? I just thought it was a very um, colourful description, where A.T. Lucas relates that uh, a legend exists where a neighbour brought a, a disabled person to the well in a wheelbarrow. Um, and they were cured after bathing his limbs in the water and the mm. barrow was left as a thanks offering beside the well mm. and two trees grew from the handles of the barrow and the leaves which they bore were never the same in two successive years so they'd be oak one year ash the next um, and what did well. he say and elm the following and so on in cycle a miraculous diversity reminiscent of the crops of apples acorns and hazelnuts borne by O Muna which is one of as we mentioned at the very beginning, one of the four legendary ancient trees of Ireland that was kind of categorised as mm. having different produce each year so that it could have the, the characteristics of an oak this year, mm -hmm. of the ash next year, the elm the year after. So this legend has kind of picked up on these motifs and echoes it, and yeah. echoes it now into the 19th That's century. Amazing. Isn't it interesting? Talking on the, on the topic of, say, holy wells and trees attached to them, the idea, similarly in tradition, that, that Lucas mentions and that we see in, in the archive here, um, relates certain trees to the world of the dead mm -hmm. and in a social sense say the large the billow or the sacred tree or a standing tree at a crossroads that the funeral cortege would often have to, to stop uh, at these trees so as as the deceased was being brought to be buried by the community that they would often stop that they would lay the coffee coffin down um, and they would they would pray at, at the site we have an account here from from county offaly a piece here from county offaly in 1837 
And it describes this practice of trees that were associated with funerals. It says, near Kennelly Church in Kings County, there is an ash celebrated for its great dimensions and for certain religious ceremonies, which have for many years been observed respecting it. The lower people, when passing by with a funeral, lay the corpse down for a few minutes, say a prayer, and then throw a stone to increase the number, which had been accumulating for ages around the root. The circumference of this tree is nearly 22 feet. Um, you mentioned something yesterday, the leaving of wooden crosses at, yes. at trees. And this is the death cairn, the death heap. It was an insult in, in Irish was that um, I wouldn't throw a stone on your death cairn, on your death heap. It's very that, true. There, there were heaps on the side of the road where a person had died maybe and when you would pass you would throw a stone on that and they would eventually turn these enormous mounds. Mm, they would grow with each year so you had stones and you had crosses which was very interesting for us reading this because we actually had a researcher in recently speaking about this tradition in Wexford that she still remembered it mm. um, and now it was quite serendipitous that we came across it but here A.T. Lucas describes it um, where are we? Up to comparatively recent times, trees marked some of the points for funeral roundabouts at the following places in County Dublin, um, in Chapel Izzard, Palmerstown and Rathcool. At every funeral in Kong, County Mayo, a relative of the deceased adds a little wooden cross to a pile of similar crosses from previous funerals, there being a pile on each of the three roads approaching the village. On the eastern road, the crosses are placed on a wall under the ash tree. The custom of bringing small wooden crosses to funerals was also widely observed in County Wexford, and this is where our researcher was from. And a description from 1894 says the following. At the crossroads nearest the cemetery, there is always a hawthorn tree at the foot of which the procession pauses and the cross bearers lift their crosses to its branches where they fix them and leave them. In some places, the tree has fallen beneath its weight of crosses, but its roots remain or at all events, the memory of the place where it grew. And so the practice is continued and the crosses are thrust in a heap lying upon one another hmm. till a mound often eight or ten feet high may be seen. Amazing. Um, the idea, even that the, the uh, these memorials that were left, there, there's, there, there's the mention of um, the monument trees hmm. as well that are, that are sometimes to the unbaptized dead. Or the children who were who were aborted, mm. or people who died maybe sometimes in a, in a accidentally in a spot a tree was was planted. I mean the idea sometimes of planting a tree in honor of a dead person it's is a common here, thing nowadays. Very much so. um, but there's a mention here about uh, the monument trees. This is by Canon O'Hanlon who wrote under the pseudonym Lagniensis. In eighteen seventy he says that monument bushes, so called, are found for the most part in the centre of road crossings, and that unbaptized children and abortions are generally buried under them. The reason for that is that because these children are outside the spiritual bounds of the community, they can't be buried in consecrated ground. Um, so they were left in these other places, or ditches, or crossroads, or high water marks, or uh, wall holes in walls, mm -hmm. and stuff like this, um, or the west-facing wall of a church or cemetery or whatever. <clears throat> but the idea there is profanation to kind of it was profane to destroy them or to remove any of their branches, um, is a common thing. The idea, I suppose, the the funeral memorial to the dead, basically. Um, and I'm going to play a, a beautiful piece of music, or a, piece, a beautiful song um, from Landis. This is from their album, Bleaching Bones, The Trees Go Tall. I have no bias here, Claire. My missus is in this band. <laughs> but it's amazing, though. They're beautiful voice. I think it just shows you the artistry of the human voice. Uh, and this, I suppose, it, it, it just links into the idea of kind of uh, death and, and the tree that, that kind of carries on as a symbol after death. Basically. I love their so, themes. Yes, cheery, to say the least. The tree.
Okay, that's um, Landis from Legion Bones, The Trees Go Tall. We'll put a link to the people's descriptions and things that if people want to find out more yeah and actually and so do listen to it because it's just so haunting but i just love oh just what they can do it's incredible it's so peaceful to listen to them actually it is despite the um unquiet nature of the songs it is it is fantastic so um to move to begin to the last kind of subject that we should look at i suppose would features trees and the idea of the other world mm-hmm. um and a particularly common idea that we find time and again and we have a few tape recordings on this is the idea that the fairies often uh, live in trees on the rat on on the lis on the fairy fort, but often the idea that the, the tree not planted by a human hand, I suppose, it, it's treated with certain reverence, a certain trepidation, a certain degree of fear indeed, and that these trees weren't cut down, they weren't, they were just left alone. You certainly wouldn't cut them, and then if you did, there'd be there'd be um, repercussions. There'd be repercussions and retribution. Your cattle might die, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm going to go back to a tape by by um, by Dahi Hogan. I apologies to listeners that this tape was dubbed at the wrong speed when it was digitized, so I had to muck around with it to try and slow it down. So he sounds like he's inhaled a helium balloon, <laughs> but you can understand that, that what's what's being what's being uh, described at least. So this is this piece is from Mrs. Sarah Meany from Borisacane, County Tipperary, and it was recorded in 1979. Um, and it describes how when one person, a family member, cut uh, a piece of a, a fairy bush on a on a fort on a fairy fort, that they suffered. Um, that they were blinded in one eye, basically. So, here we are. Did you ever hear much about the fairies around Dorfest? Was there any traditions about them? Yes, there was about the forts, that you could never, should never cut a bush in a fort. And an old cousin of mine, an old bachelor, they had a fort on their farm. Yeah. In a place called Lisbrian. Yeah. You could understand there were plenty of lisses around there. And this fort, he insisted on cutting down some bushes out of it. And his sister alleged it was a curse. He, a thorn got in his eye, and he lost the sight of the eye. So, again, this idea common enough that you cut the tree, you'll suffer some sort of damage. Uh, this person is going to blind it. This is a piece. Of, yeah, Hume, Hume McPadden and his wife, Darius Kenny Cabin, and they're basically describing the blackthorn tree and supernatural associations with it. Wonder was there legends or superstition attached to the blackthorn, the fairy tree? I think there was. It was usually the ancient roots. And Sean McCormick, um, or John McCormick, um, wrote something in a, the singer wrote something in a verse about the, the fairy tree around Clahine. It was a place in the county Tipperary where there was a great precipice, and very few ever passed that place without uh, getting trouble with the car, if the car didn't overturn or something, and very dangerous. Well, I think the fairy tree always was the black thorn. What the shillelagh's made from? Uh, I think that's right. We caught them in the fairy bushes at home. Oh, I think so. Mm-hmm. I remember one in the glen, and it was given a white bear. The cattle used to shout it under it, but you didn't touch it. You didn't touch it, no. Oh, we wouldn't burn a branch, no, no, anything, no. No. No, even if it broke off, I would leave it alone. Leave it. And I think it grew nowhere only in Ireland. So there's a kind of the thing that you get time and again is just the, the reverence with which parts of the natural world were were held mm-hmm. by our, our forebears. There's a kind of if you look at things in a purely kind of materialist frame or perspective, um, all spaces are equally meaningless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And everything is just whatever, just 
bulldoze that and remove that. Yeah. It doesn't have a name. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing particular or special about it. That's not the traditional view at all. Um, and it's something that comes through again and again and again, the idea of the, the trepidation, basically, that's attached to the to these sites. Um, there's a reference again to this idea of the, the, the tree, particularly the tree not planted by a human hand. And there's reference here um, from County, County Antrim in 1859. And it describes an ash tree that's growing by, by um, the edge of a stream but the farmer won't touch it and won't even take, take kind of fuel from it or anything like that. It says, in the next field, there's an ash tree standing alone at the edge of a stream and is thought to be of supernatural origin. The consequence is that it is treated with the utmost reverence by the small farmer in whose land it is growing. It is even thought unsafe to cut a rod from it, stories being told of calamities befalling persons who had been so daring as to commit such an act. The grass around it is carefully shorn, and when brought home, a strict examination of it is made to discover if any twig has been cut in the process and carried away unwittingly from the sacred plant. And in cases where this has happened, I have known the twig taken back again and laid with due respect and caution beside the parent stem. Those trees not planted by human hand are regarded as being auspicious sites which must, which must be treated with care. It's just, again, that's something that's, that's not, um, you know, disappeared entirely today for all of the, the... The modernity that we claim... Well, yeah, um, these things still exist in Sonia. Is that pe- people still they, they refuse to uh, to go near and to interrupt with these things or to interfere with them in any way? Um, another piece to to uh, this is this is an account from from from, um, from Michael J. Murphy. This is recorded in from Fermanagh in 1966, and this describes seven white thorns that were cut down, and this man then has seven of his cattle are are, are killed. Is it John Lynch out there cut a fourth, just beside his own house in Corinua. And uh, I heard him, it, like this is true, he told it himself. He mm. cut a fourth, I cut all the trees down, you know, knocked them all down. And uh, there was seven, there were seven lonely bushes in it. And every year he lost seven calves and he didn't know what to do. And somebody told him to transplant, to get young white thorns and put them in the place where he cut the other ones out of. And he did it and he never lost any more calves. So again, you did the, the seven white thorns that are cut, um, and then the seven cattle that die. So rack and ruin. Honestly, we're a cheery bunch, the Irish. We are, but do not desecrate uh, sacred land. You will experience great curses. Yes, and it's the, the country code. We didn't even mention the white, white thorn and satire and cursing from a height and so on. Next time. Th- that'll be next time. That's something to look forward to, folks. Um, I think the thing that's important to bear in mind is the, the interplay between the idea of sacred spaces in the natural world, hallowed spaces, uh, venerable spaces, holy spaces and so on, that still linger among us and that sometimes you need to peel back through layers of kind of, you know, snatches of words, place names, sentences, folk tradition, archaeological records and so on to, to I suppose, to, to get a sense of the... Um, meaning of some of these places and to, to reconnect them in ways but the natural world is not just an empty kind of clanking void um, it's a well there's much by way of spiritual and uh, poetic and imaginative force at play there which we should tap into and respect i agree well said um to finish as we move to finish this poem i'm going to read a piece from my favorite poet of all time anonymous this is from the 12th century and it goes back again to um to the frenzy of sweeney and this is Mad Sweeney, um, of the Wild Man of the Forest. This is from around the 12th century. And he's describing the forest, basically. And he says, Little lantern one, little belling one, melodious little bleater, sweet, I think, the lowing that you make in the glen. 
Homesickness for my little dwelling has come upon my mind. The calves in the plain, the deer on the moor. Oak, bushy, leafy, you are high above trees. Hazel bush, little branchy one, coffer of hazelnuts. Alder, you are not spiteful, lovely is your colour. You are not prickly where you are in the gap. Blackthorn, little thorny one, black little slow bush. Watercress, little green topped one, on the brink of the blackbird's well. Saxifrage of the pathway, you are the sweetest of herbs. Cress, very green one, plant where the strawberry grows. Apple tree, little apple tree, violently everyone shakes you. Rowan, little buried one, lovely is your bloom. Bramble, little humped one, you do not grant fair terms. You do not cease tearing me till you are sated with blood. You, little you, you are conspicuous in the graveyards. Little ivy, little ivy, you are familiar in the dark wood. Holly, little shelter, door against the wind. Ash tree, baneful, weapon in the hand of a warrior. Birch, smooth, blessed, proud, melodious, lovely is each entangled branch at the top of your crest. Aspen as it trembles, from time to time I hear its leaves rustling, and I think it is the foray. If on my lonely journey I were to search the mountains of the dark earth, I would rather have a room for a single hut in Glenmulcan. Good is its clear blue water, good its clean stern wind, good its crest green watercress, better its deep brookline. Good its pure ivy, good its bright merry willow, good its ewe better its melodious birch. Oh, that's incredible. It's lovely, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, Sivna the Wild Man in the Forest. There you go. Mm. Did you climb trees when you were younger? Yes. Did you? Yeah, me too. I don't know, do people climb trees now? I hope so. I hope so. If not, I feel very old sometimes when I'm talking to t- children. So I'm going to finish with um, a poem by. I kind of struggled as to find a nice poem about trees that kind of resonated with me. So you can go from Patrick Kavanagh has some on the beech tree. You've got Can't Beat Yeats for the Song of Wandering Angus. But I actually settled on one by A. E. Houseman, who was an English writer. But he has one written in 1896, or at least published then, in his collection called A Stropshire Lad. And it's beautiful. It's called Loveliest of Trees, the Lovely. Cherry Now. And basically, by way of a little bit of context, it's simply a man speaking. He's, I think, in his, I think he's 20, but he's looking ahead and realizing that life is short and that he will only have a certain amount of time to enjoy the bloom mm. of the trees and indeed the bloom of life and so that he should make the most of, of every spring and every summer. So this is him speaking about the loveliest of trees, the cherry now. Loveliest of trees, the cherry now, is hung with bloom along the bough and stands about the woodland ride, wearing white for Eastertide. Now of my threescore years and ten, twenty will not come again, and take from seventy springs a score, it only leaves me fifty more. And since to look at things in bloom, fifty springs are little room, about the woodlands I will go to see the cherry hung with snow. So, carpe diem. Blessed carpe diem, yes indeed. Enjoy life while you have the, the sweet bloom of youth. Hail. So, um, we're almost done. We're done, pretty much. But I'd like to close with a touching... There's a lovely piece in the Sound Archive here. Um, it's a recording from one Lizanne Fitzpatrick. This woman is a native of County Leash in the Midlands of Ireland. And the recording was conducted by John Newman in Arbor Hill, where, where Lizanne lived at that time, in Dublin city centre in 1980. And at the time of this recording, Lizanne is 80 years old. And so in this tape, she describes an apple tree which grew on her father's land, which he refused to cut down on account of his belief that it belonged to the fairies and the fact that it had been in the family for so many, so many generations. He was in the middle of a cornfield, so people were kind of calling him an idiot and saying, cut it down, plow it, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. 
So the tree is in, their fa- in the family's land and he won't cut it. But Lizanne carries on to describe listening with her brother to the fairies as they would sing in the fields at night and how she understood them to be lovely little women who lived in the trees by day before going out and roving about the fields at night. To accompany then this, this recording is a very beautiful piano piece of music, a piano piece titled Starfield Tree Blacksburg by, by Richard Moult. Um, and to Richard, we send our thanks for permission to use his, his wonderful music in this edition of the podcast. And to Landless, we send our thanks for permission to include the beautiful singing from the album Bleaching Bones. And we'll include links to both of their, their websites and stuff so you can, in the description of this, ep- to the podca- this episode of the podcast on SoundCloud, if you'd like to learn more about them and support their work. To you out there listening, we send our gratitude for being with us. And to the late Lizanne Fitzpatrick and the countless generations who have gone before us and who have gifted us the tree which bears upon its many flowering branches the fruits of memory, the gifts of song and story, of craft and custom, of proverb and of place name, we send our eternal thanks. Let us shelter well beneath these good branches, rooted in tradition as we reach forth the heavens. See you next month. Slán. And more hard See, we have, Tom in our house, my father had a great big tree, and it's a, oh, an awful big tree. And it's an apple tree. And, of course, it's in, it interfered with my father. Of course, I suppose they have it took over the field where it is now, because the corn field, it was in. My father always ploughed and everything around, and people used to say, you're a foolish old man. What do you think you are? Why don't you throw that tree down and have all that space? No, says my father. That tree is there in our old generation, and that's a real old, old tree, he said. And that's a fairy tree, he says, and I would not touch it. My father wouldn't touch the tree. No, he wouldn't let you go near an apple on it. Really? The poor old... It was an apple Oh, I wouldn't let an apple off it for anything. Oh, no, my father wouldn't have even touch an apple off it. No, it's any other trees. with apples to be, and still we wouldn't touch them. The cows, like, cows that we let them into the field, they would eat the apples off it, but we wouldn't touch them, no. Touch nothing belong to a fairy, you're not supposed to. And were there any other trees, like? No, there was only this one big tree in the middle of the field, like, and it was a corn field, he used to sow till it and all, and everyone was at him. Why did he not cut down that tree and not have that tree there? And my father said, no, now that my generation is alive. You know, I shouldn't meddle with them. They don't meddle with you and you shouldn't meddle with them. Oh, there's any amount of fairies in the country. We used to go at night to hear them. Yeah. How do you hear them? To hear them. You hear them in the field singing. They sing to themselves, you see, in the field. We used to go to, uh, our place was all a big cross, big cross roads. And we used to all go out and stand over the, the, the wall. And they said, listen, listen, we'd say, listen, do you hear them? And they salmon to themselves there for all that we were. And people often seen them coming home for, at night from dances and all, across the road and all. Now, at about 12 o'clock now, at night, that's where you'd see them across the road. Across from one field into another. Where do they go to in the daytime? Well, they stay in the rat. Yeah. You know, they have rats. Yeah, there was the tree, the rat was in the tree then, you know, they could stay there. I believe they're lovely little women. That's what I believe. I believe they're lovely little ones. And are they all women? They're all women, all women. Little fairy women. So that's why the little child went off the place. She thought there were children like herself. <laughs> there were fairies all of that. There was any more of fairies in the country. That's why we looked outside the door and they were afraid of the fairies. Because we'd hear them, we'd hear them singing. We'd go to our own crossroads and the lads would be going out for the They call it Kaylee in here, we call it Quachin in the country. And if you go 12 o'clock into that door, they'd say, Come out here. Come out here, Lizanne and Aunt Johnny. Come out here to hear this go